The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Now I'm hosting today because Toby has been called away to Whananaki to help facilitate the negotiations between New Zealand First and of course the two runners up in last night's election. We're going to be talking about all the big issues this week and one in particular, but before we get to Kylie Jenner's pregnancy, we'll start off with the election night results. Ben, you were at TV1. I was. I was, I was part of the social media coverage, which played where the ads would be in the TV <laughs> coverage if you were streaming online. Because people stream TV and Z, like that's what they do. <laughs> um, I had a big audience in friends of mine living in the UK <laughs> following the New Zealand election and literally no one else. And um, what, what I was particularly... Uh, I, I arrived at TVNZ um, and walked past all the people who were on the TV panel... Um, a few ex-colleagues of mine, some former National Party presidents, Mike Williams, and then set up where they were all sitting, there was a couch with its back to the back of that couch, and they were like, just sit here. (laughs) (laughs) Seems appropriate. (laughs) Did they have better catering than you? um, Look, I managed to get pretty drunk. Good. Yeah, so um, kudos to TVNZ. It was it kind of an angry, like, I'm better than this drunk? Or was it was it just a convivial, I'm having a good time drunk? Hey, look, I, it, in, any, any, th- any opportunities I'm offered is a pleasure and an honour. Um, and I'm just thankful for the Coronas and for the Democratic franchise. Was it craft beer that, or just Coronas? It wasn't craft beer, it was, it was sort of premium beer. <laughs> you know, like yeah, like yeah. like T- TVNZ's largesse, um, thanks to thanks to the sort of excesses of the Ralston years. I think mm. its excesses got frozen around sort of two thousand and five, when you know when kind of Heineken was sort of in, and you know that that's what everybody was like um, drinking on Ponsonby Road. It's it's just paused. It's forever in that era. Eh? Yeah. So Coronas without the lemon and that sort of yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah no 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 lemons that's that's an extravagance too far. How about you, Annabelle? How was uh, you? You were on TV three, which felt felt like a lot of the night. 
I was at TV3, yeah, and the highlight of my night was getting to be in makeup with Linda Clark and getting to like fangirl her up close and personal um, for a couple of hours, which was fantastic. But yeah, no, we had good fun at TV3, so um, they had us on the TV panel and then during the all-fair times, um, they chucked us on Radio Live with Mark Sainsbury and Chris Trotter and yeah, it was good fun. Oh, what? So you were like going full time? We were multi, multi-platforming. Whoa! Yeah, it was very impressive. But yeah, good night there. Good night at three, and um, you know, Duncan and Patty were beside themselves with excitement, and Lisa did a great job, and yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was Nicely fun. handled. Yeah. How, how was the spin-off? Spinoff was freaky. So I was alongside Toby, and I'd kind of in my head imagined us just kind of writing these two, three hundred word takes as those little things became clear and instantly froze. Like, it, <laughs> I, I basically just became this, like, you know, one of those water birds that just kind of dips its head <laughs> into a glass of water. I'm going out on a Ben Thomas analogy here. It's going to go badly. But all I did was just refresh the Electoral Commission's electorate page. I just got stuck in that loop of just watching scanning the, the electorate races which was really fun but also just a totally bizarre and narrow way to experience the election that's exactly what I did as soon as those first results started flowing through about Waiariki um, I just got sucked into the vortex mm. of the election results website and just kept pinging straight away between Te Tai Tokiro, Te Tai Hauaru, Waiariki and watching it unfold and Wow, I was um, I was I was very surprised by the not shocked but surprised by the result there. Certainly, it's it's really interesting under MMP. It's removed a lot of the suspense of election nights totally. because you know once you get to fifteen percent of the vote, it's basically stuck for the rest of the night. Um, even at one or two percent, you really sort of we see called the shape it at seven oh five. Toby was out on a limb with two percent in. And, and we were getting ridiculed on Facebook, but it was basically right. You know, you had a, basically a representative sample and it moved a little, but, but not a lot. That's right. And there were, there were tweets coming out from the Labour camp saying like, oh, our, our data and analysts are looking at it and we, we project a final uh, 44-39 result. And you're like, come on, like you're going to be found out in two and a half hours. Like there's no need to spin I, I really want to see the face you of your do, data analysts. You do have some seats though where it, where it swings all night like um, I remember last time in Te Tai Tokiro in 2014 it literally swung between Calvin and Hone all night and it wasn't until the end that Calvin pulled away and this time I was watching Northland mm. and um, Northland was really interesting during the night because there were times when Winston was actually coming third and, mm. and Willow Jean was coming second so and then you know Winston would come back out front again and then drop back down and well, the love those seats. Yeah, the electorates were, were interesting because because of the way that the polling booths come in, right? And, yeah. and they sort mm. of come in in bunches and you had a similar thing in Hutt South where Chris Bishop and Ginny Anderson were sort of pinging around. But and, uh, and early on there was a lot of excitement that in East Coast, you know, people thought yeah. that Kitty Tapu Allen was going to depose Ann Tolly. But then, you know, it comes back to that traditional kind of narrative where it's those small rural booths get mm. reported first and then the big urban booths come in. So we saw, for instance, in Epsom, um, Paul Goldsmith was leading David Seymour mm. early on as the, the, the small rural booths in Epsom, <laughs> like the golf clubs, <laughs> were reported. And, and then, then those tight urban centres came in and tipped the balance. Even Mana, actually. Mana was like that too. Um, for a while, National were ahead of um, Chris Farfoy and Mana. 
little bit more excitement but then it all yeah as you say after the urban vote comes in it all evens out so what did you guys think of the um the speeches on election night uh I, I thought they were... I, th- I found them quite interesting. I liked how embittered Gareth Morgan was. Um, I, I just enjoy that generally as, as like a kind of running theme of the election. Um, I thought James Shaw was like a bit too excited for a 5.8. And I thought Jacinda Ardern actually like absolutely smashed the general tone of, you know, like managing to be sort of mag. Not not necessarily magnanimous. I don't know if that, that's the right word, but I thought, you know, because they didn't win. You know, yeah. like it was an amazing result, yet it wasn't a victory, and it was ten points. And I thought she handled that really well. I know that there were some people who felt like she should have been more kind of rousing and shouldn't have. It shouldn't have had the feel of a concession. But you do have to concede that you lost the election, which doesn't necessarily mean you won't be prime minister. I thought she walked that line well. And then Ben Bullings was kind of cute, you know, like do you do. You, Regardless of what you think of him, for someone who was just so humbled and beaten and broken um, in 2002, for him to be to be back up, it's it is a kind of an extraordinary redemption story, and I, I, you know, he kind of channeled the emotion pretty well. I thought just, an, I mean, look, everyone was winners on the night. Mm. Uh, not not everyone, obviously, some. Terrible, terrible losers. Um, <laughs> but in terms of both Bill English and National, you know, obviously a huge personal victory for English himself. The, the pundits and the commentators, uh, myself included, have all sort of praised English as, you know, he really was the franchise for National during this campaign. The fact that he had the economic credibility personally attached to him meant that National could get away with a lot of the things that, you know, were kind of walked the line um, with Stephen Joyce. Um, and, and, yeah, a real kind of hero's journey um, coming back from 2002, and 46% in your fourth term is just unbelievable. Um, we haven't seen anything, I mean, we clearly haven't seen anything like it before in MMP. Um, Jacinda and Labour winners, um, you know, she picked up about 15% of, or 13 at least, percent um, of the electorate. She could still be the Prime Minister, um, there's, you know, we can get into that later. Um, the, the whole party feels re-energised. Um, the Greens, you know, will count it as a win in the same way that you do when you sort of step onto the curb and then step up to get something and a bus rushes past. <laughs> this, the, the kind of t- tangible relief from that party. Um, and they'll they'll be getting in, um, you know, new and talented people. So, I mean, there is a good reason for all of them to be happy. Um, Winston Peters, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's rare to have four parties that basically all, you know have reasons to be incredibly cheerful um, mm. in context. I mean, it's everyone Everyone had reason to have a nice time together. I think um, you're right, like, for people that do remember the 2002 election, um, you can't help but feel a little bit, um, I don't know if pleased is the right word for English, um, after that horror campaign that he had, and as he said during the election, you know, I got back up and he did, and he did so with... Um, you know, uh, f- with a reasonable about amount of grace. I think you're absolutely right about Jacinda. I think her speech was pitch perfect, in my opinion, and um, and it wasn't a. Um, I don't. I didn't really think of it as a concession speech. I thought it was graciously acknowledging that she didn't do as well as she could, but smartly also not counting herself 
out of the running and I think that was an important message to send to um, not just Winston but the supporters as well. Um, Gareth Morgan, just your typical grumpy uncle, eh? him and Winston have so much in common in that, in that regard um, but I thought it was kind of cute too the way he praised his supporters as early adopters and um, and so on I liked his t-shirt James again he said it himself you know who would have thought that he'd be happy if you'd told him this time eight weeks ago that you know this would be the outcome but actually you're right he was absolutely wrapped that they hadn't been wiped off the face of the earth and um, and 5.9 actually on election night is a good result for them given you know the tumultuous campaign that they had that they weren't sitting at 4.9 and that they were definitely over the line I think was an important victory for them and then of course there was Te Ururo's, um concession speech which you know obviously was the saddest of the night and um, you know it's hard to see a man like that who has been a a staunch um, you know tāne Māori who um who is pretty fierce when he needs to be reduced to tears over the election results. So um, pretty moving to um, to watch him on election night, I thought. Yeah, I found um, that those the most kind of wrenching images. You, you see people lose quite frequently, and there's something about losing where it's not only your seat, but it, you, know, you, you got the sense that he felt the weight of his party's... Um, you know, the fact that its future is now very much a question mark, that it has to do three years in the wilderness and only one party's ever mm. sort of successfully come back from that. You could sense that it was all, which was on, on him at that time. And just as even a partisan would find it hard not to see something, um, you know, to, to feel something in seeing Bill English's redemption, same, same goes with, um, with Te Uroro. It was just a really, really tough place to be. And you saw that in the kind of, you know, intensity of he and Marama's uh, emotions, even like the following morning. Yeah. It's same with Hone too, actually. Um, you could tell with Hone's speech on the night, obviously he refused to concede and he said that's just his style. He's not a person that concedes. <laughs> but you could really hear the the frustration in his voice and I think that's because he knows that, you know, once you're out, the chances of getting back is hard. But when you've been basically pushed out twice you know it's it's a very hard place to come back from so that signals the end of the mana movement as well but you know as I said on election night um, as long as there's Māori living and breathing and talking and arguing with each other there's going to be another Māori political movement that rises up to to take its place no doubt. I mean the the problem is that the Māori party was born out of the foreshore and seabed um, betrayal by Labour to its Māori MPs, including now Dame Tariana Turia. Um And you would obviously hope that there isn't any kind of, uh, you know, betrayal of Māoridom of that same scale that would prompt the sort of backlash which resulted in the Māori party again. So it is, it, it is difficult to see what kind of... Um, what kind of circumstances would would kind of prompt um, another successful Māori party in the near term? Um, I think it might have been Scott Campbell said on the Hui, mm. on was it the Hui? Yeah, yeah, said you know these things are cyclical. Um, you know there was Mana Motahake before the Māori party, um, and but but we probably won't see anything for a number of years. 
Yeah, it'll it'll take for there to be some sort of flashpoint issue for that to happen. I just think in terms of the Māori Party, you know, on the hui we do stories every week about, um, you know, a child who goes to the doctors 50 times is eventually, you know, in a year, is eventually sent to a specialist at, star, at um, Starship, is to, at, at Waikato Hospital actually, is turned away and has their appointment declined and then eventually finds out that they've got um, stage 4 cancer. We do stories about people, tetraplegics, living in cars, um, people having their kids taken off them, you know, more Māori and state care than ever before and those are the issues that Māori care about at the moment. Foreshore and seabed nowadays is almost a luxury issue and Māori have moved on from it and um, unfortunately the Māori party could, couldn't see that Māori have more pressing issues that they're concerned about at the moment and I've seen in the last couple of days on Facebook Māori voters described as beaten women returning to their abusive husbands as um, dogs returning to eat their own vomit as um, that it's a Maori it's a Maori saying that one um, as um, as voting non-strategically but I actually think that Maori did vote strategically on the weekend they voted to get their labor MPs in and they voted to make sure that national didn't have an option in terms of coalition partners and I think that's what we've seen and um, Having listened to Tariana on Radio New Zealand this morning, you guys would have seen the interviews with Marama over the weekend, obviously very angry and upset and lashing out. And having listened to Tariana um, this morning on Radio New Zealand, I feel like there's now some self-reflection that's going to start taking place and people within the Māori Party and their supporters starting to look at um, the reasons why Māori have shifted their vote back to Labour and of course you know those seven new Labour Māori MPs have a huge responsibility on their shoulders now mm. and Māori will be waiting and watching and and expecting them to deliver which you know which I hope they, they are able to do because there's some superbly talented young Māori within their ranks now. Look, I think the the fall of the Māori Party is a shame, um, and we we saw with those you know pretty amazing interviews I think um, on Sunday and Monday. Um, have you guys seen that Star Trek episode where Kirk gets split a, split in half by the, a, a faulty teleporter and and gets split into good Kirk and bad Kirk, and one of them is sort of just Kirk's kind of human kindness and and compassion, and the other one is like Kirk's aggression and anger. Um, and, and it seems sort of like that with um, Te Urudoa and Marama. Um, and whether the Māori Party ever kind of got the balance right in Parliament in terms of the aggression towards National as the, the governing party, even in coalition, you know, we started to see flashes of it this term, you know, over the Kermadex, over the Resource Management mm-hmm. Act, but that was really lacking in the previous nine years. Um, it seems really, un, you know, it seems a bit unfair and unkind, um, you know, at this stage to kind of recall all of those Labour jibes at the Māori Party about being lapdogs mm-hmm. of the government, which were very provocative. But I think actually what hurt the Māori Party and what hurt ACT in terms of its party vote is that the traditional thing that hurts minor parties, they didn't do enough to distinguish themselves Mm. from the major party in government. 
not just during the term, but even during the election. You know, it's, it, this, yeah. is, this is a yeah. relatively new idea that we have that parties on the same end of the spectrum should be campaigning together and acting like friends and yeah. doing photo ops together. It's actually, it's always been the exact opposite of that. You know, ACT, ACT needs to get votes off people who would otherwise be voting national, not attacking Labour and the Greens. Um, the Māori Party... You know, needed to be needed to be showing people that it wasn't just an appendage of national. Mm. Um, and it's exactly what happened to the alliance in terms of their relationship with Labour. And you know, even New Zealand First, and was it two thousand and eight that um, they got turfed out of Parliament yeah. altogether? Like, it's a really hard. Um, it's a, it's a really it's a balancing act when you're one of those minor parties to maintain your identity and your brand and. And those larger parties have a responsibility to Manaki, their coalition partners, and, and National simply didn't do that well enough with the Māori Party. You know, people were worried about Te Ture Whenua Māori. I've spoken to people that were door knocking in the Waiariki electorate, and the feedback they kept getting was that people were really concerned about that Te Ture Whenua Māori reform. And the reality is, is that, in, on, in a tangible sense, more. Māori would probably be affected by those reforms and by foreshore and seabed. So I think, and this is not to disrespect Tamati at all, but in some ways the vote even wasn't necessarily for Tamati as a person, it was against those reforms. And then of course you had the Kermit X, the Ngāpuhi settlement being pulled off the table, homelessness, all the rest of it. And in response we saw policies coming out like Iwi Rail and Iwi Bank, which for ordinary Māori probably seemed like folly, really. At, at the same time, I mean, you know, I don't think the Māori electorates are any less guilty than the general electorate of banking gains um, in the sense that if you look at Whanawara, that's a pretty significant programme, um, you know, over the past six six to nine years. Um, but the Māori Party had, had, did do a bad job of selling that its success. That's the thing, they haven't told the story of whānau order well enough, I think. We hear about whānau order a lot, but there's not... Um, but um, transmitting the success stories that, of, of whānau order hasn't happened well enough, I well, think. That, that's right, and you know, if the Māori Party had actually gone out there effectively and said, well, look at all of our critics, look at Willie Jackson, look at... Um, Hone Harawera, well, they're actually all Fanoora providers. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's how much buy in there is to this project. Um, but, I, you know, there, there was, you know, coming back to good Kirk, bad Kirk, um, I think the Māori Party always did sort of hide its light under a bushel a bit. They always seemed like a little abashed, not really, you know, grandstanding. And I think they, you know, they kind of took the whole Kumara doesn't. Of its own sweetness a little too far, yeah. and and they relied on the fact that people back at the Marae and people in the far reaches of their electorates who weren't you know weren't doing so well all the time would just hear about the good work they were doing mm. somehow organically, and it, it never happened. Have come up with a really good segue. Do you want to hear it? So like it wasn't <laughs> just like Te Ururua and Marama Fox, whose political careers in Parliament have ended this term. There was also uh, Peter Paraune from New Zealand First. Um, Joanne, Jo Hayes, is it? Well, what's the oh no, oh, the, yeah. um, the the Maori girl from New Palestine Zealand North. first, oh, the, um, the former oh, Leonie, this is good. New, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's a work. It's still going. Wait for it. It's There's like more. New Zealand. <laughs> um, David Clendon yes. from the Greens. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and Denise Roche, which brings me to Auckland Central, which brings me to the swing between the Auckland seats. Because for a while there, it looked like Nikki K might be out the door that night, didn't it? That's true. <sighs> did you see what I did there? Yeah. I, it was long, I know. Is, I, no, needed I, help. I needed help. I needed help to get I, it there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, it's the journey, not the destination. But I still feel a sense of relief and excitement now we're here. <laughs> Nikki Kay managed to hold on to Auckland Central, but um, there was some swings from Labour to National, wasn't there? I mean, the, the, central? the Centrals were basically all swing hard to, to Labour, which makes Nikki Kay's holding the seat all the more impressive um, against the backdrop of, of the uh, party vote swinging so hard. But, but the fact that Auckland overall was part of the swing toward national. Um, in the party vote, yeah. Yeah, in the party vote, even in West, West and South uh, Auckland, which is it's kind of extraordinary when you think about the, that Auckland has been the epicentre of so much of the, the kind of uh, very pregnant <laughs> social issues um, and housing issues that have been the storyline of the past three years that... The, the National is still, the strength of their brand, how they articulate it, um, was able to, to do that in this climate is you know, one of the, the sort of most extraordinary achievements of this election. Ben, you've got a theory on that? Well, yeah, so there was a piece published on Stuff by Phil Quinn, the former Labour Party press secretary and now sort of apostate of the party, one of its harshest critics. Um, he put down that swing. He, he said there was a correlation in uh, suburbs with a high... Um, essentially Asian population um, there was a, more of a swing towards national so electorates like New Lynn um, and out, out east Mount Roscoe and yeah and he, he, he thought that that was because of the sort of Chinese sounding names debacle with Labour their anti-immigration policy um, that they alienated those, those new New Zealand new New Zealander kind of communities I'm not convinced by that um, I think that there is a firm bias in recent immigrant communities towards the government of the day, whoever that is. Um, that seemed to be the case under Labour. It's the case under National, and a lot of it reflects culture. Um, the... the, the, the um, actually, that was my only point. Well, but that National was also... One, it was a, it was a great one. Great. You know, and, and you looked like you had another one. Like I really believed you when I, when I saw it your It felt face. like there was going to be a follow-up until just that very last minute. What about Christchurch? Is this... We've seen a lot of electorates swing back to Labour. Is this people have just had a guts full of waiting for Christchurch to get fixed? or Jerry Brownlee's departure as earthquake minister has crippled National in Christchurch. Just one for our Christchurch listeners. <laughs> the uh, No, I... I yeah, I think that's probably the case, isn't it? There was that kind of afterglow of the the of the government's you know strong leadership or perceived strong leadership, however you want to cut it. After the Christchurch earthquakes, um, there's a real sense of solidarity down there, um, and there were also a few population changes by area that helped National a little, and that helped Nicky Wagner win Christchurch Central, I think, for the first time ever for National. Um, and, and what we're seeing is a reversion to the mean as the kind of baseline heroism of the national government <laughs> sort of <laughs> retur returns to normal. And so D Duncan Webb, uh, yeah, a good, good win for him, highly regarded. 
He's a lawyer. Used to be used to be the privacy commissioner, didn't he? Mm. Was he something like that? No idea. My, my first cousin, kind of thing you'd know, not us. Uh, yeah. My cousin Nook Korako managed to hold on to his seat in the port house. Well done, Nook. And my other cousin on Matawa's side, Reno Tirikatene. Um, I think he actually increased his majority. Matidia so, Kanui te mihi kiaku whanaunga, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But um, it was interesting to see Matidia come up to number two. And um, in some ways it was even more fascinating in the Māori seats is looking at who is coming in at number two. And Matidia obviously um, got a bit of support there and, and managed to pip old um, Meitare from the Māori Party, who was an excellent candidate, actually, so... Yeah, there you go. What else should we talk about, Fando? Bill's redemption, Jacinda's the, result. What will Winston do? What What will Winston do? I feel like it's just sitting there. Can we get Toby le- on the us. <laughs> uh, down, down a long driveway in Fananaki. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, what 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 do you what do you reckon, Annabelle? Have you got Have you got a vibe yet? On I mean, he's very good at wrong footing you and at. Kind of sending like multiple different signals. Yeah, I, I just don't think that um, that it's necessarily done and dusted, and that it's a given that he will go with national. But it's been fascinating over the last couple of days what's happened, like um, um, Wayne Eagleson mm. resigning. I immediately thought of that superannuation leak because we know that the three people in national that knew were Bennett, Tolly and Wayne Eagleson and I can't help but wonder if he's like a sacrifice on the altar of Winston to show that, you know, they're prepared to do whatever it takes, even if he's not necessarily personally responsible for the leak, but just, um, you know, showing Winston that they're prepared to go. It very much felt like a, a, a gesture, like, like, you know, like, like a true, true like, a, like, yeah, like a sacrifice. Like, like please, please. Like Winston, when your cat leaves the fantail at your back door. Dump, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dump, dump the body at the, hu- at, the, yeah. at the water's edge of the high tide and fucking <laughs> <laughs> when it washes away, Winston can come back over and get it. Um, no, look, I mean, look, Eagleson was going to go whatever the case. Um, I think he's probably been pining for John Key for the last year. So he Will was, he be his caddy? He was, <laughs> he was persuaded He was persuaded to stay. Um, I think he had always tied his career to Keys. Um, so there was, no, there was no question that he was going to leave after the election. The question, though, of, of why it wasn't publicly announced now, that could have been something to do with clearing the decks for Winston. Um, I think it's pr- very unlikely that Wayne was involved in those leaks. No. Um, he's not that sort of guy. He, he's actually a very straight shooter. What about Bennett, who, who's today been talking about how she's very comfortable not being uh, Deputy Prime Minister and isn't involved in the, the sort of the, the, those senior team do, doing the negotiations? Yeah, look, well, as, as we know, Bennett's office has a history with leaks. Yeah. So whether she was involved or not, and we don't have any evidence that she was, um, I think that it would have been a bad idea to have her on the negotiation team with Peters for that reason. She'll be serving the apple crumble paninis, I think. <laughs> it's been fun, I have to say, the last couple of days watching the way the National Party are kind of crawling around Winston like Stephen Joyce and is, oh no, I'll be making cups of tea and, yeah, yeah, and Paula and her, it's fine, I'll be flooding it out and all of that stuff. Well, it's it's, it's very interesting that, yeah... Um, 
Because obviously the presumption is national with about, what, 10 seats more than Labour and about five seats more than Labour and the Greens right now, um, that they will be forming the government. And so you can see New Zealand First really kicking back against that. So, you know, everyone who rings up New Zealand First for background is just getting a tirade about, you know, about the National Party. And, you know, there's, there's these insiders talking about how the National Party tried to force Winston out of Northland. They tried to destroy the New Zealand First. The leaks are being brought up again. Um, New, you know, Winston Peters um, reacted badly to Bill English calling him a maverick mm. yesterday. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. I mean, which, which really seems to be spoiling for a fight. So whether, whether this actually indicates that there is a 50-50 chance, as the insiders are saying, or whether it indicates that New Zealand first are desperately trying to create a bidder's market um, for national. But surely it is a bidder's market. You know, like they're going to be extraordinary sort of once-in-a-generation type deals on the table for him because... You know, both sides are so hungry for for the, um, you know, I think even more so than in uh, 2005, you know, National are only two terms out of power and Labour had had to. There's something about the urgency of a fourth term, that glittering prize with a prime minister who, you know, hasn't actually won an election, even though he's, he's kind of won this versus Labour, who have got to think, like if they, if they you know, irrespective of the revival under Ardern, that you know, the sense that they'll have like maybe one or two MPs total who've ever been in government by the time a, a fourth mm. term rolls around, and just how sort of you know shaky you get at the free throw line when um, <laughs> when you're that long, uh, mm. you know, when winning's been that you know they'll, they'll become like the Warriors. He's in an awkward position because he knows that you know a coalition of sixty-one does not make a very stable government, but he also knows that a vote for New Zealand First was not a vote for the status quo. It was a vote for change. So he's got a whole lot of stuff that he has to weigh up. And you know, if you look at it on policies like Jenna Lynch did last night, it does seem that he has far more in common with Labour, will he want to be in bed in a fourth-term national government? I, there's nothing very sexy about a fourth-term government, I would have thought, in terms of the longevity of his own party, and I don't know how much um, he cares about that because I don't know if, he, if this is going to be his last election or if he plans to continue on and you know if he wants to see New Zealand future, uh, New Zealand first have a long future. You know, th- those are all of the things that he's going to be um, having to weigh up in his head. So I still think it's anyone, you know, it's it's still very much on the table. And I think it, I think um, it's right that it will come down to those sort of legacy issues like Northport and those sorts of things, rather than will he get to be the Minister of Trade or will he get to be the Minister of, you know, beverages and cheese and crackers and stuff like that. I, th- I agree. I mean, I... While the the working assumption seems to be that the the simplicity of a national New Zealand first uh, government is makes it far more likely, I, I do think that the that policy alignment and the you know the you know had enough and the 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 level of kind of rancor towards the government, even if some of it was kind of posturing, uh, it just seems like you know if if you look at three or four big things that New Zealand First could demand that wouldn't completely rupture your policy program. It seems to work better with um, with Labour and the Greens and and the fact that, you know, like he's he's expressed this historical 
enmity towards the, the Greens. It doesn't seem to be there to the same same extent anymore. He can still kind of pat them on the head and keep them down into a pretty kind of you know a pretty junior position in any coalition due to that just immense weight of power that he has. And I think too that the, in, in, in this election the um, specials will be absolutely critical and you know one or two more seats up for the left block will make a huge difference I think. And which is near inevitable. That, that which is, is near that, inevitable. That's incredibly important yeah. because Winston has more has more experience you know partially because of the way he constructs his lists and recruits his candidates of having people flake out on him, desert him, get fed up with him. Um, you know, we saw the mass defection in 1996 where Jenny Shipley just kept half of his caucus in mm. her government and dispatched with him. Um, he had Brendan Horan leave in the 2011 to 2014 term. Um, he's, you know, he he's had huge problems with it. Just, just recently, of course, he, um, he demoted Richard Prosser, mm. and then Prosser was in the paper, you know, the day before the election and the day after the election running him down. So Peters is probably more wary of his caucus than any other um, leader in Parliament. He, he, he'll be really, really careful about going in with only a one or two or three seat buffer, mm. um, because there is always, you know, look, if I was national, I'd be eyeing up Shane Jones, <laughs> Stuart Nash from Labour, mm. you know, make him foreign minister. You know, you could actually have one of these really patchwork sort of coalitions like 96, and then you wouldn't need Winston Peters. Now, well, I don't think National are looking at that, but, but Winston will not be blind to that possibility. Can I just say, um, just touching again on the Māori Party and the, the Greens result, and I think it's something you've written about, but I haven't actually had the chance to read the article yet. But, you know, there's been, even during our election night coverage at three the other night, lots of the commentators in the Green Room were talking about, you know, what a wasted opportunity it is that um, the Greens have never gone into government with National and, you know, and it's something they should seriously consider. But I think, you know, the Māori Party is an example of what happens when you abandon the ideals and the wants and desires of your key support base to take that pragmatic approach and so I think the Greens have been wise and um, obviously it's come at a huge personal sacrifice for them you know who wouldn't want a nice ministerial position after all those years on the opposition benches but I think in terms of long the longevity of the party it's been the smart move and I think if the Māori party had set, set it out in 2014 created a bit of distance and space between themselves and national and had sent clearer messages about who they would be prepared to go into coalition with being more open and less scathing of of Labour, then um, we might have seen a different result on the night. Well, that's kind of what I wrote about. I mean, I, I sort of, I think it's really sad because I think that, you know, there. what is the point of being, you know, obviously there are things you can achieve, you know, in Parliament despite not being in government, um, perhaps less as a, a list MP than an electorate MP, but... Mm. The whole point of being there is is to get into government, and the the Greens' kind of lack of um, you know inability to to you know to even have have a plausible 
relationship with National does kind of, is the reason that despite only having two less MPs at New Zealand First, no one's talking about them. Um, yeah, they could even very easily end up with the same number in, as of MPs after specials accounted. And, and still just get an insulation scheme. Yeah. So, yeah. Like they always do. Absolutely. And, and Pink that's, that's <laughs> buy shares, buy shares and take bats right now. But I mean, that, that's kind of like that, that is the, the sort of the weird um, sort of irony of, of MMP in that it gives all these, gives voice to all these kind of, you know, narrower slash minority interest parties, gives them seats at the table. But then whenever they actually take the plunge and do join governments, even if, as, as in the Māori Party's case, they were they joined willingly, like they weren't necessary for, to, to pass legislation. Mm. So everything they got was a pure upside win. Um, no one's, I, you know, this is what I wrote, was that no one's suggesting, I think no one could plausibly suggest that Māori would have been worse off, uh, sorry, better off without them there. I think everything they got, you know, you could argue about where they emphasised. Um, and, and particularly, I think you were absolutely right to say that they didn't create distance between them. They weren't uh, critical enough of national. In fact, David Seymour, I would say, was probably the most critical mm. of national from within that coalition um, on various issues. But the the fact remains that it does seem that minor parties, when they when they do join up um, with, with a major party, there's an explosion and it does damage the... Um, yeah, the, the major party to an extent, but they always come back. They're forever. Of of the sort of eleven minor parties which have been part of various co- coalitions, um, well, that have come into parliament, six of them have have been part of coalitions. Four of them are now no longer in parliament yeah. at all. They just get obliterated yeah. um, by proximity. And I think too the whole idea that you know you can't really achieve anything in opposition. Uh, for me personally, I think one of the greatest Māori legislative achievements that we've seen over the past nine years was Louisa Wall's gay marriage um, mm. legislation, and that was she did that from the opposition benches. And you know, it's something that we can feel internationally proud about. And you know, if you don't believe in opposition, then uh, you know that you can make change from the opposition. Well, what's the point of Parliament? You might as well not have an opposition at all. So I think that the importance of being an opposition shouldn't be undervalued in my, that's, I think. That's true. And, and I wasn't meaning to, no. to imply that there, that there was nothing that could be achieved. No. But after it's 27 harder, years, surely it just yeah. weighs on you. just want to, you want the ball. One go. Yeah. One little run. Yeah. One, one little run with the ball. You've got to recognise <clears> that when people are saying, you know, why don't the Greens just focus on, you know, their core purpose, which is the environment, and not on left-wing economics and social policy. That's just a mistake about who the Greens are and where they came from. The Greens are a left-wing, redistributive, socially liberal, environmental party. They're not just one of those things. And when people talk about their core base, well, when you get down to it, it's their membership. And their membership are virulently left-wing. I mean, there's there's no argument about that. Um, And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. That's just a characteristic of that party. Mm. And if you asked them to be purely environmentally focused or purely environmental business focused, that would be a different party. It would. And, and and that's kind of again what I, what I wrote today was that you know the people asking for that tend to not be part of the Green Party and people in, who are in the Green Party would absolutely there would be no Green Party at, at the end of the term probably wouldn't be a Green Party during the term if they were ever to even contemplate it in any serious way and 
these parties are democracies, you know, uh, themselves. So, you know, it's it's it certainly massively decreases their leverage, but I don't see that there's any other option for mm. them. We talked to um, Martin Davidson about that on the weekend because there has been a lot of commentary around the Green Party needing to stick to environmental issues and cut out the social justice shtick like, you know, mending the safety net and all of that. And the point she made was that if our taiao, if our environment, if our awa, our rivers are unwell, the people are unwell... And if the people are unwell, the awa and the taiawa and all of that stuff is unwell. So you can't have one without the other. And I thought that was a nice, simple way of, of summing up their um, their approach around that stuff as well. The other thing, just to go back to Winston, the, the one option that has been canvassed a little is that he remains on the crossbenches and that he doesn't support either party in government or he abstains from confidence and supply. Um, is that a minority government? That, yeah, so you right. allow a minority government to form. But one thing we have to remember, and this also is applicable when people are talking about, oh, he'll have to go with the biggest party, is that MMP, we're making up the rules as we go along. It's mm-hmm. still only 20 years old in New Zealand, mm-hmm. well, 21 years. Um, in 2005, constitutional law professors took to the airwaves to say that it was literally impossible to have a government where you would have a foreign affairs minister who was not part of cabinet and not bound by cabinet collective responsibility. They were like, it just can't happen. <laughs> and if, <laughs> and if, they're such a cheerful <laughs> bunch. And what, and, and, and what happens with MMP and with Parliament is that things happen and the conventions change. So in the past, a crossbenchers arrangement would have been basically a matter of impotence. You just sit on you just sit on the crossbenchers, abstain on confidence and supply, let a minority party govern, and then you would basically have a veto over anything that they tried to do outside the budget which you didn't like. Now that probably won't do for Winston because he needs a legacy in this term. This is his final term on all likelihood. He wants things to happen. On the other hand, he may not want to do them himself. You know, he's, he, he does seem pretty tired with the whole sort of parliament thing. He may not want to be Minister of Regional Development. He might want to strike a deal where he says to National Labour, I'll support your budget, and in that budget you've got to move Auckland's port to, North, to Northland. And I don't care how you do it, dispatch Simon Bridges to do it, or David Clark, or Phil Twyford, and just bring me the plan, and then I'll vote for your budget. And that would actually suit Winston's style of government perfectly. Mm. Okay, so let's let's finish on just pick it, picking an outcome. The next uh, next podcast, we'll have Toby back safely in Wisconsin this seat, and probably be a hell of a lot better as a result. Um, well, since me and Ben absolutely nailed it with our predictions last week, <laughs> yeah. we might as well nail it again. So, a month's time, uh, I'd like you to nail whether we'll have we'll know who our prime minister is and uh, who it will be? I would say that in a month's time we will know and I suspect it will be Bill English. Um, Yes, in a month's time we will know and it will be Jacinda Ardern. Same. Same. (laughs) Kapai. Download us and all of that stuff. Where do they find us? Uh, the spin-off At the spin-off Got my lunchtime on iTunes Got to keep beating Caucus yeah. um, That's that's Hard the main out. thing we live for is, is the bitter rivalry Crosstown rivalry between Caucus and Gone By Lunchtime The, the real enemies of democracy yeah, Absolutely yeah. Those guys are, you know Coming after you, Guyon Coming to get you 
<laughs> Thank you. Hack it. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.